0: Good afternoon and thanks so much for being with us on this Thursday. Plenty to get to today. We'll have the full rundown of what's happening on the campaign trail right after the 1230 News. Richard Zussman will join us with that. Also coming up on the program, the number of scams taking place and scammers getting creative during the pandemic. And clearly this has hit a nerve with people because after just saying we were going to be talking about this, I'm already getting emails and people sharing their personal. Personal stories, which I very much appreciate on the types of scams they are seeing and hearing and thankfully the people that have contacted me are not falling for. We're going to talk about that in the final hour of the program though, so we'd love to hear from you on that uh, if you would like to share your comments or your experiences there. First though, we are going to take a look at what one Surrey City Councillor would like to see be a big provincial election issue in that city and Councillor Linda Aniston is joining me on the line now to talk a bit more about policing. Councillor, thank you so much for being with us.
1: My pleasure to be with you, Jill.
0: Uh, I know we've talked a lot in the past about the transition to a Surrey police force. What would you like to see, or how would you like to see this issue dealt with as we now have uh, politicians trying to get votes and talking to people? What would you like to see done?
1: This has been a very divisive issue in Surrey, and I think the residents of Surrey are owed the, uh, from their... Uh, Surrey MLAs to know whether or not they will support a referendum or not, whether or not they oppose the right of the residents of Surrey to express their opinion. Clearly, the residents of Surrey have not been consulted uh, through this process, so I'm really asking the residents of Surrey and the MLAs to speak up
0: and say whether or not they will support the residents' right in Surrey to have a referendum. Uh, so not asking specifically about whether or not they support a poly- a civic force or the RCMP, but support putting that question to the residents again.
1: Absolutely. I think the residents deserve the right to be heard. There's more than 50,000 residents in Surrey that have said they do not want to transition from the Surrey uh, RCMP to a Surrey police force. So I think is one of the questions that should be asked of all of the uh, people that are running to be an MLA in Surrey.
0: Do they support the residents' right to have a say in city policing? Does it? Do you think it is a provincial issue, though, in that the permission was already given by the Solicitor General for this to go ahead? Is it still, do you think, a provincial issue or more of a civic one now?
1: It's a it's a provincial issue. They get the final say in terms of what policing is going to look like throughout the province, and when there's so many people speaking out and saying that they don't want this transition, it's incumbent
0: on them to at least allow the re- residents of Surrey to have a referendum. Uh, so would you like to see people and again as this campaign is different and we've been uh, told that and are seeing that uh, just a few days in how would you like people to approach this as in that there won't be the opportunity likely of a candidate knocking on your door or having town hall meetings with large crowds how would you like people to address that
1: well there are many town halls taking place organized by the BIAs and the boards of trade uh, you have the opportunity to through those means to put questions forward. And you also have the opportunity to reach out to any of the candidates either through email or through, you know, phones and connect with them and ask them that very question whether or not they will support the residents of Surrey's right to have a referendum so that their voices can be heard one way or the other. It's such a divisive issue, and I think it needs to be decided once and for all. I'm not asking the MLAs to choose one side or the other, but they just need to say whether or not they will support having a referendum so that residents' voices can be heard
0: once and for all. If there was a referendum, would you support, would it have to be, do you think, a certain amount of turnout, and would it be 50% or 51% okay to do it? What if it was was close in that sense?
1: Well, I don't think it's going to be very close at all. When more than 50,000 people have signed a referendum to say that they don't want this transition and there's some six thousand lawn signs throughout Surrey now. I think the message should be heard loud and clear that this transition shouldn't be happening and particularly during the pandemic you know it's it's tough economic times uh, for everyone right now and the Surrey is the city of Surrey is looking at spending in excess of 129.6 million on this transition
0: and quite frankly it should be put into programs to support the local residents and to support businesses that are failing. Do you get the sense and I know there hasn't been a referendum but do you get the sense that opinions have changed at all because of the pandemic absolutely you know when rec centers aren't being opened and other civic amenities
1: uh, and we're having to you know show restraint in many of our departments throughout the city we shouldn't be spending money on something that is just being rammed through there's not a clear plan in terms of what this policing transition would look like there's been no consultation
0: at the very least we need to be putting a pause on it and listening to what the residents of surrey want uh, so, do you think there will be an effort then to go uh, to every electoral district in Surrey and to make sure and to keep a running tally, or to to figure out exactly where all of the candidates stand on this? I think the candidates need to come out publicly and
1: say where they stand on this issue, do they support or oppose the residents of Missouri's voices to be heard through a referendum? It's a really simple question, and I think that they need to come clean and say where they stand on it. I'm not asking the MLAs to say whether or not they support the transition or not, but really what it's all about is,
0: are they willing to let the residents uh, have their final say through a referendum? uh which, which makes sense uh, for that that question to be asked wouldn't it be a natural follow-up question though to then ask that particular candidate how they do feel about uh, the RCMP versus a uh, civic force i think it's very important to for them to know
1: that but it you know i'm not asking them to necessarily do that would it be great absolutely uh you know i think um the residents when they go to vote uh, for their next mlas they need to know where they stand on this very key issue this is going to be ever-changing for the city of Surrey. It's going to cost us lots of money, uh, and I'm not quite sure that most of the residents in Surrey really understand why we're doing this, how it's going to make them feel safer, and quite frankly, how much it's going to
0: cost. There's many, many unanswered questions. All right. Councillor Annis, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, some new studies that have been done around the world take a look at animals and the coronavirus, COVID-19. And some new evidence shows that they are likely more susceptible to the virus than what we first thought. So do we need to be concerned about this? Joining me on the line is Lauren Adelman, a Vancouver veterinarian with the Canada Veterinary Specialists. Thank you so much for taking some time with us today. No worries. Happy to be here. I know we talked about this in the past, saying, yes, there there were some cases of dogs and cats that tested positive, but there wasn't the concern that animals were going to start transmitting this virus to humans. But what are we learning now uh, more about pets and animals and COVID-19?
2: Yeah, so you're you're right. There's definitely, definitely been several cases of infected cats, dogs, and we've all heard about the tigers and lions at the Bronx Zoo, the mink farms that have all been reported during the outbreak. And most of those animals did have close contact with infected people. Um, based on these studies, what we know is that cats and dogs, uh, particularly if we're talking about our domestic species, may be susceptible to infection. Most of the time, they're not going to show any clinical signs of illness. And, you know, there really hasn't been any evidence that pets can then spread that virus back to people. So there have been, as you mentioned, a few new studies that have come out. And I think despite some what I'm reading as a bit of misinterpretations of the actual studies, there still is really no evidence of animal to human transmission. What these studies are really highlighting is that, more animals are being exposed and probably having subclinical infections than we originally thought.
0: So does the, the shift then go to we need to be concerned about what the virus could do or what negative impacts it could have on the animals?
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely more of a concern. So there was a few studies. One was recently out of Wuhan where they actually just screened a bunch of cats you know, in the area following the pandemic and found that, you know, a lot of them had antibodies and even neutralizing antibodies, so antibodies that could prevent infection. Um, and then in the subsequent studies, these are kind of pre pre-actually published, so not peer-reviewed in France and Spain, similar findings in terms of just finding a much higher antibody level. So initially, we thought it was maybe 0 to 15%. Now we're seeing up to half of the patients tested have antibodies, and some of those cats, about half of them actually did have clinical signs. So I think that the possibility of animals becoming infected is still less than people, but it is possible.
0: Uh, one of the studies too seemed to suggest that cats were about twice as likely to catch the virus than dogs. Do we know why that might be?
2: It has to do with their um, the, some of the receptors that the virus in, involves in terms of entering access to the cells. Cats share more similarities with people than the dog um, receptors do. And so that's been something that's pretty consistently been shown, that cats and ferrets are more likely to be infected. And you're right, yes, about twice as many cats in one of those studies than dogs um, did have antibodies to the virus.
0: So do you think people need to be concerned, or people will hear this and think they need to watch their animals more or or perhaps be concerned about their animals being exposed? Do, Do people need to do anything different? Well, it's you know, it's the same thing
2: that I've been recommending. Now I just feel like we have stronger evidence for it, which is that if you yourself have tested positive for COVID or if you're potentially exposed to COVID, you should be socially distancing or social isolating from animals, just like you would people. So you shouldn't, you know, be curled up in bed as much as you'd love to be with your dog and, you know, kissing it on the lips because they may be more susceptible than we thought. And so, you know, I think it's very unlikely that pets are playing a significant role in the transmission of this. So we still don't have any evidence of animal to human transmission ex- except for maybe one situation at a mink farm. Um, but otherwise, dogs and cats still really don't pose much risk to humans, but humans may pose risk to their pets.
0: Which is not great news for, for animal lovers and, and those of us that have those furry friends, especially if you're quarantined or if you're, you're staying at home. That's kind of the one perk, is that you get to spend all this time with your furry family member. Yeah, and I think probably, you know, just...
2: Doing things like hand washing, trying not to kiss them on the mouth, don't share food with them, you know, just trying your best to keep that distance from them, specifically in those cases where you have tested positive.
0: At the beginning of the pandemic, we were talking a lot as well about etiquette at at the dog park or if you're at an off-leash area. And I know that's still a question for some. It seems like people have relaxed a bit, but there is still that question of, is it still okay to pet a stranger's dog if, 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 if they're okay with it? Or should you let strangers pet your dog? Has the advice there changed at all? Yeah, so
2: based on what we know, the more studies that are done on, the, you know, how the virus survives on surfaces, the more we've realized that it probably doesn't really survive long enough on a dog's coat to be of significant concern. So definitely we have relaxed. From a veterinary perspective we used to spray all the dogs walking through the door with you know a topical disinfectant we don't do that anymore i think the likelihood of that happening is is quite low but in saying that a lot of people just still want to practice that social distancing even at dog parks so i always still ask if someone will let me you know if i'm okay to pet their their dog or cat if i see them outside
0: Which is probably not a bad thing to do, uh, whether there's a pandemic underway uh, or not. Uh, Do you think anything will change? I know a lot of people have that anxiety, too, when taking their pets to to their veterinarian during the pandemic of not being able to go in with them. Do you see that changing anytime soon? I don't see that changing anytime soon. I think the reality
2: is that... You know, with such a high volume, specifically here at Canada West, you know, some of these referral hospitals, we're seeing hundreds of patients a day. And so the risk of, you know, potentially one exposure could shut down an entire hospital and limit that care for so many other animals that we just feel like, you know, that risk is not worth taking. And I think that most other vet hospitals, even the smaller ones, are also, you know, abiding by those same rules. And And I I get it. It's hard. You know, we don't I also want to see my owners. I want to be able Mm -hmm. to talk to them. But I think, you know, people are very understanding and realizing that sacrifices right now mean that we can still continue to help pets during this time.
0: Yeah, I think it's probably uh, more anxious, uh, cause it causes more anxiety for the owners more, for most of the times rather than the pets. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so most of the time we're treating owner anxiety, not pet anxiety. <laughs> All right. Well, Lauren, thanks so much for joining us to talk about this today. Appreciate it. You're so welcome. Have a good day. All right. Even before we got into this segment, people were emailing me talking about just the number of scam calls they have received and how that has really picked up during the pandemic. And the Better Business Bureau knows all too well what types of scams people are moving to and trying to use to take advantage of people. So we thought, why not talk a bit more about this and at least make sure we are aware of the scams out there. So Carla Laird joins me now, manager of community and public public relations with the Better Business Bureau. Carla, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me and hello to your listeners. Uh, We talked to you, I remember, uh, closer to the beginning of the pandemic with a similar type warning, but you've now uh, put out some new information and this is to do with vehicles being shipped and escrow scams. Let's start with vehicles because it makes sense. More people are buying online and if you're in the market for a vehicle, but scammers are trying to take advantage of that
3: yeah absolutely you know at this time of year usually as we enter into fall people actually start actively looking for um, new vehicles to purchase Um, there's that there's also the fact that because People are trying to avoid public transit a little more because of the pandemic. They're trying to see if they can get their own personal transportation. And then all of these things combined are leading them towards online platforms to make these purchases. So we're looking at sites like Craigslist that we're all very familiar with, Kijiji that we're all very familiar with as well. There's Facebook Marketplace and even eBay Motors. And so they're going to these platforms looking for vehicles to purchase and they're actually stumbling on some really good deals, but some of these deals... Are actually just trapped at gamos,
0: and that's often the first sign, isn't it? If it uh, the old phrase, if it seems too good to be true.
3: Yes, it, it it's it's such an old phrase, but it's still so relevant even in these times. Because when, as you relate to the vehicle escrow situation, what we've been noticing from the reports coming into us is that the price was below market value for the vehicle. They saw where you know the person was saying they had an emergency situation, or it was a sad, gut wrenching story that required them to sell the vehicle quickly and at a low price and it, it all seems to line up especially with escrow where for consumers when you're purchasing online the one flaw that I keep hearing over and over is the fact that I don't know what I'm getting until it comes to my door so the vehicle escrow scam has been successful because of how it is created you literally give your money to a third party who's supposed to be independent and trustworthy You get to see the product, which is the vehicle. If you like it, then they send the money to the seller. If you don't like it, the product goes back to the seller and you get back your money. But in this particular reason, the reason why the scam is successful is because all different parties, except the the innocent victim, is in on the scam.
0: Hmm. So what else do you need to watch out for then? Obviously, that one that you mentioned, if the price seems uh, really good, lower than market value, that's a red flag. What else are kind of are, are telltale signs of this scam? Well, w- the other things that we have definitely identified is
3: where you are being told that you can't meet with the sell this or you're being told that you can't... Um, See the car or inspect the car in person. They're trying to direct you towards giving your money to a third party, having someone ship the vehicle to you. And especially if they want you to give the money to a third party to hold the money, you're doing your research on this third party company, and you're not seeing anything that suggests that they have credibility in the marketplace. Absolute red flags
0: and uh, so not meeting the seller makes sense but what if it's something like the the seller is out of town or the seller is in a different country even or a different part of canada and that that might seem like a reasonable thing well we can't meet because we're in different provinces
3: well yep and they've been using that strategy as well so this is why it also comes down to you as the consumer taking the time to do your research you know we saw where a couple of um Consumers in B.C. actually shared that they did their own investigation. They checked the company that they were being referred to. They checked BBB.org. They checked Scam Tracker. They just even did random searches online. And if a company is telling you that they've been around since 1997 and there's no presence of them online at all, and they claim to be a global shipping company or a global um, escrow company with credibility and hundreds of um, satisfied customers, If you can't find an online footprint for them, that is something you want to take um, and be extra cautious about before you hand over your money.
0: And you may have touched on this, but also uh, the sad story often comes into play.
3: Yes, the sad story is also another thing. We've actually seen from victims in BC that they were told that someone was doing a heart surgery and so they needed the money as quickly as possible. We've heard sad stories like someone getting divorced. Or a family member passed away and the vehicle that they're trying to sell reminds them so much of the the family, the deceased family member. It's bringing back a sad, awful memories. And so there is a gut, gut, gut-wrenching appeal. It sounds sad. It sounds like you want to emphasize And it sounds like it's a legitimate, plausible reason why they would want to sell the vehicle at such a low price.
0: Uh, Which on the surface does actually, you're right, it does sound feasible that this is somebody that maybe just uh, inherited this vehicle, acquired it. uh, They want to do a good deed, passing it on, not making money off of it. But Some of them might even say to you that, you know, it's the pandemic now
3: and I'm not driving anymore. I'm officially working from home and so there's really no reason to keep the car anymore.
0: Hmm. Uh, you, there's been research done on this uh, as well and uh, I know you touched on this uh, also, the, the, the roots of these groups and there have been investigations that have been done about these, linking them to some pretty uh, high-profile crime groups. Yep, absolutely. You know, this particular
3: investigation that we completed on the whole vehicle Group um, scam, our findings actually take us back to um, Romanian crime groups. So, you know, this is not, Uh, a simple overnight cook-up. This is something that has been orchestrated, developed and has been implemented and strategically placed to target consumers. The the reports that we're getting from victims, the the consumers, these crime groups are targeting consumers that are looking for RVs. And because we know we have to be more localized in our tourism activities this this time of year, you know, RVs have become more popular. Vehicles, um, personal vehicles have become more popular. Boats have become more popular. And they're targeting consumers looking for these items.
0: Uh, right. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because when we talk about vehicles, I think people, we automatically go and think about cars and trucks. But this is everything. Farm equipment, jet skis, horse trailers, food trucks, you name it. Yeah,
3: you name it. And so that's why their their impact is so widespread. They're, it's They're, con- they're literally consciously trying to pick out every kind of consumer. So a jet ski would be an adventurous consumer. The RV might be a consumer that's willing to drive out into the open country and spend some time alone. The, the boats might be, the, the fishing, the, the, the consumers that love fishing, they're thinking about every single person. And that's why no consumer is, you know, outside of the risk that this this particular scam presents.
0: So what should you do then? Because there are still legitimate sales that happen online and happen in this way. I I mean, looking out for those red flags, are there other ways to protect yourself if you are in fact wanting to purchase something and, 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 and that is legit, but just to make sure that it's legit? Yep. So you
3: can check BBB.org. We have done investigations on these kinds of businesses. If you are in the market for a vehicle, do your research and just check to see if this business is trustworthy before you, you spend your money there. Because you're not even just thinking about losing your money. If it's a case where you do get the vehicle, is the vehicle um, something that's, you know, for, for the value of the, the money that you're spending? Are you going to be purchasing problems essentially and you know at the same time even if you are about to make a transaction you can actually reach out to your bank let the bank know that you're about to make a a, do a wire transfer or make a payment and they can actually check with the other institutions that would be receiving the funds to see if there's a fraud alert um, connected to a specific account so it's really coming down to consumers being more diligent in doing research we know we're now moving towards a time where online transactions are going to become more prevalent and part of adapting to that new way of shopping means also changing our way of thinking and changing our way of double checking before we make these purchases
0: all right uh, carla we'll leave it there for today thanks so much though for coming back on the show and for talking about this thank you so much for having me We were just talking with the Better Business Bureau about the increase in scams, particularly during this pandemic. Well, my next guest is usually talking about travel and the great travel shows he puts on. We will mention that in just a few moments. But I wanted to bring William Jans on the show today because he posted what happened to him when he got one of those scam calls. I think we've all been getting them just the other day. And William, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share this uh, rather bizarre story.
4: Hey, wow, hi, Jill.
0: (laughs) Hey, okay, you posted this. You got one of these scam calls. I think we've all been getting them. Uh, But you answered it, and then you had a conversation with the guy. How did that go?
4: Um, surprisingly well, and I should say this is a real anomaly because I think when I post, a lot of people said, oh, I'm going to try that too. And I don't know if this could always work as well as the happenstance of what happened for me. So so first of all, I've had them like you've had too, where they're kind of annoying and disruptive and you just know you're being scammed. And yesterday when this call came, I kind of picked up the phone in the same millisecond as looking at the number and realizing that's too many digits. And I already I said, hello, and kind of that timid hello, and I waited that second as it kind of clicked into... I guess their bot service connecting to him and I heard a hello and I right away said, oh no, you're not a scammer, are you? And uh, just a slight pause and I heard, yes. And then a little pause and I went, really? And he said, Yes, and I went, wow, that's got to be an interesting job. And then he said something, I don't remember what, and and it just started there, and it was really calm and really polite. I wasn't mad, he wasn't mad, <laughs> and and like it's just like the the game was broken at the opening because they said, oh, are you this? And he just said, yeah. And I guess he was in the mood to not do the game, and I got to ask him about like everything. I was kind of like, you know, a bit of how it works. But I I even asked early on. Well, oh, I think, I, first I asked in, in Hindi, like, if, he, or no, I asked if, if he was in Mumbai, and he said, no, Calcutta, and then I said, which is Hindi for how old are you, and he said 27 in English, and, mm-hmm. and it kind of went from there, and I kind of pushed on towards asking him if his parents were still alive, and, and he said, yeah, his mom was, yeah, and, and I kind of was leading towards, like, I, you know, do you think she would approve of this? <laughs> so we got a little moral of, you know, chatting a bit about it, and he's saying, you know, it's circumstance and. And and I said, well, you know, your English is great. I hope you can get some other work. And, uh, yeah, it was really surprising. But uh, I, I feel that, it, it, I mean, it was pleasant enough. It wasn't threatening. I don't feel worried about him calling me again. a matter of fact, I even asked him if he, if he had the capability of pulling my number off of the roster so I wouldn't get called again. And he says, I don't even know w- what it is. Like, it just comes up. And, like, it's all through, you know, however that goes on behind the scenes. But uh, I know there's been other times if I get called from a – one of those, like, marketing things that's a bit annoying. If I know the legit, I'll always politely ask, hey, can you do me a favor and remove me from your list? And I'm a big believer that if you're nice with them, it's just another person you're talking to. They probably have the capability, or if they do, they will. But if you're yelling and screaming at them and just hanging up, you're going to get called again. Cause,
0: <laughs> probably. <laughs>
4: yeah, because, I mean, there's, they have no concern. But if you're able to just, for that moment you know, kind of negotiate, saying, hey, please, is there any way you can, like, I'm not buying it, <laughs> can you pull me off?
0: Were you but, surprised uh, at how candid he was answering your questions and chatting with you?
4: Oh, absolutely. And I think it was a millisecond decision from his part to kind of go, yeah, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. Because um, normally I've, you know, played with him a little bit too, and you kind of try to bust him and they'll say, no, 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 I, just, I really am Microsoft support. Oh, and a matter of fact, I asked him, I said, "So, so what's your... Like, what do you represent as? Like, do you say we're Microsoft um, support? Which is because we never got to that, right? Because it just was the hello, and I said, Are you a scammer? But, uh, and he said, No, no, we say something different. I said, What are you saying? He says, Oh, we're network services. (laughs) So I thought that was interesting, too. And I, I do have the number, and of course, I probably could phone it back, but that would not be constructive.
0: No, I, I guess not. Now, and did he kind of tell you from what I from what I understood from your post that uh, – because on the one hand, you're mad. This person's calling you to scam you. But on the other hand, you're now talking to this guy who's a young man in Calcutta who's just trying to make a living.
4: Yeah, well, and the funny thing was this one is it, because it, it happened so quickly, I actually – that's a key variable. I was not mad at all. Like, right at the beginning, I said that. And as soon as he said, yeah, it just somehow diffused everything. And and I don't know, it just felt suddenly like a, a veil was moved and it just became a chit chat between two people. And where otherwise when the the scam stays firm and they're just saying, No, I'm not, no, you really need a you know, you have a virus, it's really kind of off putting. But this was so calm and it was so easy and almost kinda of, as a matter of fact I probably could have talked to him for a lot longer but I just figured eventually you know, that's like well, I gotta go, and but then now I wish I would ask more about like, do you work out of home now because of COVID, or do you work in like an office still? Because of course, like everybody else, I'd like to see these guys stop doing this. Yeah, and he probably wouldn't have told me to get himself or not himself, but his company in trouble. But it would have been neat to find out more about like how many people do this. Or are you like because of course you heard about the big busts where they did get some cells shut down, but of course they put them all more independently and. Um, you know, and actually, because this is a forum where you're talking about this, if I, one thing I'd love to throw out there for people to consider, or hopefully the the hierarchies or the CRTC to consider, is start implementing some sort of way to have behind the scenes a, a number that or, or, or a way that a call cannot be made unless they can confirm it's originating from where it says it's originating from. So you can't call from Bangalore and imply it's Utah or whatever. Right. And even if it's, uh, the numbers are still blocked for whatever reason or need, people need the privacy, if the system will not let spoofing happen and, and TELUS and Shaw or whoever, all the carriers and CRTC starts implementing that or worldwide they can do that, that might stop this stuff. Absolutely. Uh,
0: William, we're right out of time, but I did promise you that I, because we normally talk to you about travel, you could uh, give a shout-out okay. for your YouTube channels because that's what you're doing now. Where can people see your stuff?
4: So William Jans, just Google that, or William Jans on YouTube, and that's J-A-N-S. And there's adventure stuff and silly stuff. And, of course, with COVID right now, that's more viable than my live travel shows. But I will also put stuff up there about the travel shows when they happen. But it's absurd travels. I guarantee they're entertaining, a little bit
1: absurd, and maybe a little bit adventurous and dangerous at times, too.
0: All right. Thanks for that. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Nice to chat with you.
0: You